the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house with us on this rather nice Monday evening, April 19, 2021, to be exact. Well into the month, headed towards the end of the month. Glad to be here. Hope you are glad to be where you are and uh, looking forward to talking with you for the next two hours. Remember what we do here on this program is exercise our freedom of speech. The most dangerous thing in the world when it comes to people that want to control your lives and not only your life, but your thoughts. Now, who in the world would want to tell you how you ought to think, how you must think, how you better think or else we're going to counsel you? How you better not say anything outside of our narrative or you are wrong and we will summarily end your existence. Well, that's where you and I are today, are we not? We're uh, in, uh, as I said before, Aldous Huxley's brave new world where the only thing that matters is to make sure we are comfortably following the rules. Now, listen, uh, God didn't make Americans that way. And uh, quite frankly, human beings are not made that way. We do not do well when somebody is constantly telling us what to do. The way biology works, the way we evolve, the way we develop is that we explore, we learn, we we press through issues, we we uh, we we experiment, and then we come out on the other side. Hopefully, the better for it. But I can tell you, uh, the way our administration has been going, the way our our government and and the world uh, institutes that are gathering together to determine that we will have a problem, we will have a a pandemic, if you will, that will so uh, control our world that everybody has to be in lockstep with the same ideas, the same approach, the same solutions, the same methodology. This will be a one world government come hell or high water. And that's really what you're kind of dealing with. Now, I know it's quiet right now. I know that you don't hear much uh, by way of um the media, but be sure that uh, Fauci is scratching his head and uh, and Bill Gates is scratching his head and the Biden administration, they're scratching their head. And many of the powers at the WHO, the uh, Economic World Economic Forum, the WEF, the HIN, the CDC, many places are wondering what are we going to do since now? Uh, our uh, our protocol seems to be unraveling. Everywhere you look, you find countries putting a halt on the different vaccines. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We don't like the outcome. We're not we're not happy with the impact of what's taking place. 
And state after state all throughout the union are pushing back against these so-called passport solution oriented uh, immunity passes, albeit California is trying to press into it. And New York has determined that it was going to be a pilot test for this, again, this kind of uh, uh, draconian system, 1984 mode of uh, marshaling us all into this tuna can and, and, and demanding that we operate out of a total surveillance system that starts with a passport. I'm glad that they are pushing back. This is what I talk to people about you guys in private and uh, within the context of study. It's called optimistic contingency. An optimistic contingency is an idea that says there are theories out there that if they work themselves out, if a particular theory, if a particular model of governance works itself out and proves itself to be uh, um, uh, unassailable, uh, uh, you know, foolproof, doesn't have any flaws in it, doesn't doesn't break down an unsuspected area, then we can look at outcomes and we can anticipate results and we can anticipate uh, benefits or losses to that theory. But an optimistic contingency is this, that whenever there is a growing uh, level of policy and legislation that's worldwide in nature, UN-oriented, World Health Organization, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and, and, and then all of the different governments that have always spearheaded a lot of these liberal policies, the optimism that we have as human beings, it constitutes two or three things. One is our freedom. Uh, there is such thing as freedom. It's limited. It's confined to uh, the mysteries of, uh, of nature and it's confined to the providence of God. But there are freedoms. What that means is you, you and I can't absolutely determine how people are going to react. And so the freedom to react the way that people are reacting has led to uh, led to some optimism that at least you're going to see some extremely serious pushbacks. I've seen some fascinating discussions in, at, at the, in the Senate and in Congress uh, pushing again back on Fauci for some of the just uh, inconsistencies, particularly around if, in fact, people are uh, getting vaccinated. Why isn't there uh, more freedoms being exercised. Why aren't people able to take their mask off? Why aren't they able to just go hither and yon and, and enjoy the shielding that the vaccines are supposedly to bring about in, in your lives? And yet, there you go, Fauci saying, no, 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 we got to keep doing the same things we've always done, even more so until we are, well, here's the way he puts it, until we're all vaccinated. In other words, his agenda is full and total vaccination as the solution to our problem. Well, the reality is, is that's never going to happen uh, unless somehow you create, uh, again, a police state in America where where the American citizen is forced against his will to buy into your agenda. That's never going to happen. So you're going to see fluctuation. You're going to see uh, kind of a de- uh, an argumentative uh, media. You're going to find debates continuing and all kinds of uh, questionable things. You're going to find the, the uh, social media, your networks, your Twitter and your uh, YouTube and uh, Google uh, constantly trying to shape the narrative and shut down voices of reason and voices of experience that have alternative means to getting to the same goal. And namely, that is, you know, total herd immunity so we can get back to normal. Uh, these are narratives. These are ideas. 
These are theories, and they are worth discussing. Um, we, our, our planet doesn't do well with just one narrative. It doesn't do well with just one opinion. It certainly doesn't do well with one representative of the, uh, of the vaccine world telling the whole world what to do. I, it, I, I totally agree with Senator McCullough who said concerning, or Dr. McCullough who said to Fauci, why are you the only one sitting up there telling everybody what should be done? Shouldn't there be a panel of doctors as there is in almost every HMO, every hospital, every institution to have multiple opinions that are not always in lockstep with one another for what we would call controls and balance and objectivity. And uh, no, we got this one face up there, one face. Are we getting used to a one world government? Are we getting used to a kind of totalitarian uh, uh, singular voice telling us what to do? Well, Fauci says, Fauci says, Fauci says. And again, that's so un-American and so un-Western and so unbiblical. But here you are. uh, We are looking at manifestations of biblical prophecy again around the, uh, the, the, the 10 horns giving their power to the beast for a small period of time in order to make war against the lamb. And, and, uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of what's going on. Oh, by the way, did you know that if you don't take your vaccines, you are a white racist? Yeah. The people that are pushing back against the vaccines are called white racists. Yeah. That's how one newspaper article in the New York times framed it. White evangelicals, white evangelicals, Vaccine refusal could prolong the pandemic. Now, with a title like that, how white evangelicals vaccine refusal could prolong the pandemic. All that's doing is what is called a bias training narrative is the idea of catching you if you are weak to and are prone to this 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 critical race theory. Uh, uh, genre, as soon as you hear something like white evangelicals, you're already predisposed to say somebody's guilty of something called racism. (laughs) So white evangelicals are going to be the ones prolonging the pandemic. What pandemic? What pandemic? A lot of people going about being, doing their normal lives. And yes, you know, the virus is still spreading hither and yon and in different places. But it's not wiping people out. You're not having massive deaths all over the place. You got people dealing with it, doctors dealing with it, hospitals dealing with it. We're dealing with it like we deal with all sorts of viruses. So for me, for yours truly, this is about narrative. It's about storytelling. It's about manipulating people's minds and emotions. It's about threatening and controlling people when they don't reason through narratives. That's what this is about for yours, truly. I, I see the battle. Uh, and they were given over to a strong delusion that they should be leave alive. Because they had no interest in the truth, God says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. Um, so you and I have to battle against this. We have to battle with whether or not the thing is, is totally accurate, totally false, partially accurate, partially false. And to what degrees and to what measures are we being controlled and manipulated and coerced by... Uh, by uh, fabrications, uh, according to a larger agenda. We really do have to look at that because 
is time. Anyhow, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I do have to take a break. All the lines are open. If you want to call in about a Bible question, a comment, or a suggestion, uh, so we can start putting together some uh, some potpourri, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine is to reach yours truly, Jesse. Just stand on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Gonna pay some bills, and we'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 521 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You guys know about our brother and friend, James Cote, in uh, Alberta, Canada, who has just come up out of doing uh, jail time for a bit over a month, over about five or six weeks, because he refused to shut his church down. Uh, because the uh, the help organization, which has received powers under this emergency uh, uh, use act in Canada, has just taken it way too far, way too communistic, way too totalitarian. And uh, Brother Coates had to spend some time. Well, he's going to be having a May 3rd hearing here uh, in a few weeks, and we want to pray for him. But I want you to hear uh, what's taking place, because he's going to fight against this as being unconstitutional. Here's the following words, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, April 19th, 2021. Uh, The Justice Center announced last week that the trial of Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church will proceed on May 3rd, 2021 at Provincial Court, Court in Stony Plain. However, the court granted the government's request, and watch this, that Pastor Coates not be permitted to challenge the constitutionality, uh, constitutional validity of Dr. Dina Henshaw's orders at the trial. Now, this is what they're going to challenge, and this is the only challenge that we as Christians have where the government intrudes upon our explicit and specific constitutional rights. Notice this. They're going to try to stop Mr. Coates and his lawyer, his representatives, from arguing that they are unconstitutional. Watch this. Government lawyers told the court that Alberta government could not produce any scientific evidence in support of Dr. Henshaw's order in time for the May 3rd trial. Now, I want you to hear this. This goes back to what I'm saying about narratives and you thinking that we're dealing with science here. Uh, when all we're dealing with is, is some scientific data that's being reshaped and fabricated to impose something that is unscientifically proven to be uh, veritable and relevant here. They do not want him fighting for constitutionality because that means they have to bring in all kind of valid evidence that what they did actually endangered the neighborhood, endangered the society and endangered its own citizens, which is what they were reported on by uh, people in the neighborhood who just wanted to be a red shirt. This is your Maoist red shirt people who were in lockstep with the socialist agenda turning on you because they think they are doing God a favor by shutting you down. Listen to this. It says Pastor Coates charter challenged the constitutionality and legality of Dr. Henshaw's orders will be heard by the court at an unknown later date. Pastor Coates and Grace Life Church near Stony Plain, Alberta, are charged with violating the public health act for holding normal church services after more than one year of government restrictions. Pastor Coates spent one month and six days in jail before he was released on March 22nd, 2021. 
because he would not sign an agreement to stop pastoring his church according to the congregation's belief, i.e. John Bunyan. The reason we have the Pilgrim's Progress and so many other great books is because England did the same thing to our brother. And he said he will not stop preaching the gospel. And God used him in confinement as he's doing with Coates. Representing Pastor Coates in Grace Life Church, the Justice Center has challenged the constitutionality of Dr. Dina Henshaw's health orders in court, arguing that they are unjustified violation of charter rights and freedoms. The Justice Center was and still is prepared to present extensive scientific and expert witness medical evidence at Pastor Coates' trial that demonstrate that Dr. Henshaw's lockdown orders are themselves unscientific, unnecessary, and ineffective. After 13 months of violating charter freedoms, the Alberta government refuses to present evidence. The Alberta government refuses to present evidence in support of lockdowns in court. And unfortunately, the courts have permitted the government to delay facing accountability in regard to charter violations, state lawyer John Kerpe, president of the Justice Center, said. Justice delayed is justice denied. I quote, it is clear that the government's approach to any challenge to its lockdown policy is to withhold the evidence and delay as long as it possibly can. We are now in our 13th month of charter violating lockdowns in what was supposed to be a temporary two week measure to flatten the curve. I'm with their argument. I totally get it. You should, too. That all changed two weeks later. By May 3rd, the government will have 14 months to assemble proper medical and scientific evidence to justify lockdowns and the resulting violations of our fundamental charter freedoms for the Alberta government to request that it not be required to provide evidence on May 3rd in support of Dr. Henshaw's orders, while at the same time barricading the church is both reprehensible and pathetic, says Mr. Carpe. And I could go on and on and on. What is the point here, ladies and gentlemen? Tell them to bring the actual scientific evidence, the valid evidence that for people to go about their normal lives using whatever common sense methods they want to use with regards to the real presence of a COVID virus. uh, Tell them to bring the evidence that somehow we are creating hot spots and somehow we're just creating an opportunity for just a massive flare up of the virus. See, I tell you what we're dealing with is a narrative. We're dealing with a narrative. And uh, it's sad because, you you know, if you don't make them do that, then what you've got going on is one person's word against another person's word. And this is how mythical deception ends up bringing everybody into bondage. It doesn't have to have a stitch of scientific evidence. If the health department says you're violating the rules and you're endangering the society, and we go, well, show us the evidence that what we have done has endangered the society. But well, they don't have to show you the evidence. All you have to do is comply. And if you don't comply, we'll shut you down. Unconstitutional is certainly unbiblical. Uh, the Bible is clear, prove all things and hold fast to that, which is good. I love this. I love this pushback. I love it because, again, many of the states in America have proven that the logic is flawed in terms of almost every one of the recommendations that the uh, CDC has uh, and the FDA, as well as the uh, WHO, have implemented to control people and to keep them in fear. 
is highly questionable at best and utterly absurd at worst. Now, you guys know. Here's what you know. You know that in public, you will pretend that you are complying with the rules. You know that. But in private, you won't be complying. They're actually making you hypocrites, particularly if you're professing Christians. So in public, you'll wear your mask, you're sitting in your car, you're out in the open, nobody around you for 500 miles, and you got a mask on. That's called virtue signaling. Signaling. You're complying. You got a mask on in your car. You got a mask on, you know, at the top of a mountain. But when you go into a particular venue or an atmosphere with other people, and you guys want to have a healthy conversation, guess what you do? You take your mask off. You talk to people taking the same risks and challenges that every other person who decides to walk in their freedom does. And guess what? You have a right to do that. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying do it. If you if you feel comfortable and, and willing to deal with those risk matters, I am. I do. Uh, do it. I try to use certain rational, reasonable methods for myself to make sure I don't get myself in a position where I'm loaded up with uh, with the virus. If, in fact, it's in the atmosphere, I have my own methods. And so far they have worked. Uh, then do it because I enjoy freedom. I enjoy talking to people without muffling my mouth. I enjoy not looking ridiculous in spaces where everybody looks like a criminal. Uh, But you see how the system makes you look stupid and then it forces you to be hypocritical. Uh, And again, I'm not saying don't wear a mask. There's a lot of reasons for wearing the mask, particularly if you got to just make sure that you uh, don't uh, inadvertently come across someone if you aren't able to control your environment. I'm just saying don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I've got two lines open. It's getting worse in Canada too because they're doing border controls. They're stopping people from coming in. They're stopping people from going out. They're just as bad as Israel right now. And and again, I know you don't feel it right here in California yet, but it's coming. They will not stop implementing this until it's just almost all out and out war and the media cannot stop itself from dealing with the uh, the opponents of this particular methodology being imposed by Big Pharma. Again, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I've got two lines open. Looking forward to your questions and comments after this break. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 536 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's go to line number two and talk with Bertha in California. <laughs> Bertha in California, are you there? Uh oh, Bertha's on the side of the road in California somewhere. She sounds like she's flying an airplane. Line number two. Um, she's got to solve that problem. Let me go to line number four and talk with Dan in Sonoma. Dan in Sonoma. Are you there? Two books. But the first one I want to put in line is the. it's called uh, The Revolt of the Elite and the Betrayal of Democracy by Christopher Lesh. It seems to touch on a lot of these topics and more cogent than the reviews state. 
because the reviewers try to state he should have taken one point of view, followed it all the way through the book. How can you cover such a broad topic with just one specific purpose statement and limit your point of view to one aspect of a big, complex problem? That's, the review is more silly than the book is. But anyway... Well, the problem... Uh, first of all, we we didn't get you potted up in time for me to hear your whole presentation. I need you to start over because you talked about yeah. two books, one about one by Vody Bauckham and then the other one was by, I forget the last right. name. But I was hoping that we could stay on different topics orderly fashion, but the Vody Bauckham book is about critical race theory. It's sure. called uh, Fault Lines is the title of the right. book. And right. what I wanted to state to sort of set the scene for the discussion is, uh, I understood from a story I read today that this Canadian pastor is also being told that drive-up services are not going to be allowed. You know, if you sit in your car and listen to the pastor preach to you from the safety of your car, why should that be illegal? Right. Right. So um, but really, really draconian on this whole thing. I don't know the Canadian Constitution by heart. Like, I know uh, things about the U.S. Constitution, but I don't think it would fit. And, well, they're slightly uh, different. The other they're, book is, the other Dan, book hold on for a second. You got time, Dan, Dan. Dan, we got we got a little time. You okay. we, you can work through both of these. Let's stay let's stay with uh, Colstein because you're, you're sounding erratic, and I don't want our audience to get lost. We're going to deal with both of the books at least in brief because I I, I can trust Vody. I want to hear about the second book. But going back just to comment on the Ontario thing because your observation is keen. Why are they doing what they're doing? First of all, their constitution is different than ours. Our constitution has way more of an an anticipated and inherent right of freedom to worship. At At the foundation of our constitution is the presumption that men were created to worship God and that the highest authority out of which we all operate is the authority of God. Uh, That's the way our framework, uh, our Constitution is framed. It is therefore incumbent upon the people, the people of America to know their authority, to know their rights and to push back against government when government usurps that authority and takes the place of God and enters into an antichrist mode of governance, which is, you know, where we're moving. And it's certainly where Canada is right now. So the Constitution in Canada is slightly different. It does mandate freedom of uh, religion and freedom of speech. But with not as much uh, detailed um, specifics and particulars that would be uh, as beneficial if if it was the uh, American Constitution. But I do want to say this about it, Dan, and you can respond because we got time. You're not going to work this for the next five minutes. Um, what's going on, you guys, whether you you know it or not, and people are going to do what they do. They're going to stick their head in the sand and hope that, you know. Those of us who are concerned are wrong. They're going to stick their head in the sand and just hope that it goes away. But you might as well have been sticking your head in the sand 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Or like we stated, uh, Aldous, Aldous Huxley, many, many decades ago, you might as well have stuck your head in the sand then because where we are now is a consequence of the incrementalism going way back many, many decades up to the present hour. It didn't just happen overnight, and it's certainly not going to change overnight as well. So make your observation, uh, Dan, on both of the books. Yes, well, the the thing that is getting to this um, 
thing with Pastor Coates is uh, Martin Luther King resisted authority, and he's now commended for it. But if the churches want to meet and resist authority, they're poo-pooed for it. I just don't see how come a small group that was correct and resisted a majority, in one case is good, but in another case, a small group that resisted majority is bad. Well, we can answer that. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is, and this is what you got to deal with, and this is where Aldous Huxley's Brave New World comes in. If people don't take my advice, that's their problem. Because Mr. Huxley said it will be a medical issue that will bring the world into conformity to tyranny. And it will be a medical solution that will put people happily to sleep to be governed by powers outside of themselves because they will have a drug that will make them comfortable and make them happy. All all people want to be is comfortable and happy. And there will be drugs that will put them to sleep and make them comfortable and happy. And you and I are experiencing that now on a psychosociological level. All people want is comfort and happiness. But that is so contrary to a biblical worldview. You and I are not here to be comfortable and happy. Uh, and we're, all we're looking for is comfort and happiness. We are buying into a false gospel. You can be sure of that. Um, so, so that's the battle. The battle is going to be whether or not people value freedom enough to fight for it. As Mr. Coates says, the other thing about it is, yes, Huxley said it will be an argument on the part of health. A healthy society will walk in a a communistic, socialist, totalitarian lockstep and all the rest of us who don't buy into their healthy happiness paradigm will be like lepers that need to be extinguished. And the difference between Martin Luther King Jr.'s day and our day is that the beast system that we know had not yet come up with a method by which it can marshal together and control the people out of fear. Now it has it. That's the invisible virus that can be communicated by mass media through, you know, all kinds of performance oriented techniques, which is what Davo was about. This is what Event 201 was about. Several years ago, they prepared for all this. The narrative is working just like they wanted to on their part. It's just not working on the part of people who are free. People who are free don't They don't care at all what your narrative is. You don't just get to control us because somehow you're telling us that something is happening that we have not been persuaded of ourselves or with the legitimate data that is case. And this is what Coates is pushing up against my dear brother. And they don't like it because if Coates wins this battle, then it proves that the narrative is utterly flawed. And it's the same thing that's happening with John MacArthur here in California. Our freedom to worship as Christians here in California is due largely in part by God gracing John not to be a hireling and flee when the wolf comes and leave his sheep to these lying uh, ravenous wolves in the media. 
John MacArthur did that, and he softened the blow of of uh, Gavin Newsom, as you know, because Gavin is a big hypocrite within himself. He does not believe this crap for a moment, but he's pushing the narrative because that's the agenda of the elite. This is going to segue us into the two books, but I want you to hold on because we're going to take a break, come back, address those two books because I want us to kind of get some of that language out in the air. So, Dan, you hold on for a moment. We'll come back, get you, and then we'll go to the rest of our callers. Two lines open, one 367 one We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Dan, let's let's uh, advance our thoughts into the two books. What did you get out of, um, or what were your thoughts on on, on Vody's book, uh, Fault Lines? What were your thoughts? Well, on the that? book the book arises because a lot of uh, comparative pastors that might be comparatively liberal, or they have a conservative stance in their church doctrinally, but they said that social justice is a big chunk of the gospel, and what he finds for them is the hidden. Uh, ramifications of that. If they're going to say that social justice in the name of uh, some of these organizations, like Antifa, is a good thing, you're, you're making an unholy alliance. Totally. Totally. And there would be, I mean, uh, Valdi has actually, Vodi has talked about this at LIMP for years on a number of levels. And I won't enumerate them, but his insightfulness as an apologist lays out the fact, uh, Dan, that quite, quite frankly, across the nation, and this is sad, but black churches have collapsed into the social justice doctrine uh, just like flies. They have bit into it and bought into it because their foundation is not really predicated upon the word of God, nor the gospel is really predicated upon socialism. And they see this as a good opportunity to get in lockstep with the world in order to get the benefits that they're getting out of it. And they are. For uh, for those of us who know the Bible, this really more or less is an exposure of the apostate church over against the true church through the Trojan horse of uh, of injustice, if you will, because there are no compatible fundamental principles that underlie critical race theory with a biblical worldview. And it certainly uh, is completely contradicting to the solution that the scriptures bring to the fundamental problem of racism, discrimination, and um, all other kinds of uh, social humanitarian inequities. For us, it's about personal sin, not uh, group sin, not ethnic sin. For us, it's about a biblical indictment concerning the rebellion on the part of human beings, and the solution is the cosmic redemptive work of Christ on the on the cross and penal justification as a result of it being applied to the sinner personally and uh, and and the human being that does not apply to Christ for his own personal sins. Uh, it doesn't matter how good he may claim himself or her herself to be, she will stand before the judgment and be rejected no matter how much of a critical race theorist she is or he is. But quite frankly, I warned us about this over a year ago that the social justice framework was nothing but a Trojan horse for Marxist, neo-Marxist social communism. And you know that, and it's in our churches. Now, if you listen to the way some of the pastors are talking uh, since, uh, since, uh, 
since COVID, since 2019. Listen to them how they sounded just in 2017 and now how they sound in 2019. If you go back to uh, uh, to very prominent pastors today that are now espousing this, go all the way up to Tim Keller and, and, and several of the guys, what they sounded like two years ago is nothing like they sound today. It sounds like they swallowed a pill, got off the biblical ramp, and on to the rhetoric of, of, of uh, again, uh, you know, Michael Foucault and Jacques Derrida and their irrational, illogical, postmodern uh, argument of a grievance doctrine. It sounds like they bowed the knee to uh, Robin DiAngelo and have kissed the ring of Ibram uh, Kendi right now and have bought into that whole narrative. It's a mess. It doesn't sound anything like the word of God or the gospel and uh, it's a strong delusion, just like God said it would be. It's a strong delusion, and it has established a clear demarcation between true believers and gospel uh, and, and pseudo gospel uh, folks who, as you are stating, wanting to have some kind of eff- efficacy in the world. Here's the problem, too. White folks can never be forgiven of that sin, according to them, and black folks can never commit it. And that that kind of message is so demonic and so intolerable and so anti-gospel, I wouldn't spend five minutes engaging somebody who would hold a presupposition that the problem is so in- intrinsic and so extensive and so systemic that it's in the very DNA of white people and they will never be able to atone for it and that black people could never, ever commit that particular crime. All we're dealing with, Dan, right now is reverse racism. That's all we're dealing with right now is a reverse racism doctrine. If people can't see it, that's their problem. What's your thoughts about that second book? Uh, Yeah, and I just want to say while we fly by that I give credit to Jesus Christ and glory that he said we would have ethnic strife. People against people and nation against nation. Absolutely. uh, Christopher Lash has written a book that's called uh, The... uh, the revolt of the elite and the betrayal of democracy. So right. I was stating earlier, when they say that he should have a consistent point of view when he covers so many aspects of what we're talking about, he's a scholar and he's coming at it from a lot of different essays, a lot of different points of view to explicate what he's trying to say. So I think that's an inconsistent review that I read. I don't know. Hold on for a second. I don't know. Let me let me say this. This is what I would argue, because I have been able to work through um, the uh, revolt of the elite now for two years. We talked about it when I unpacked and deconstructed uh, the Communist Manifesto. You, you watched that. And I told you that all the Communist Manifesto did was set up your oppressor oppression paradigm and that at some point within the tension of that dialectical process, your elite jump ship and join the proletariat hypocritically for a while because they recognize or they believe that the whole house of cards is coming down after they have worked their magic and control of people and pilfered them of all the money. Then all of a sudden they want to pretend that they're on the part of the uh, of the proletariat. It's not true at all. Not true at all. Um, and, 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 and if you understand logic, if, in fact, you put the proletariat in control of everything, they're simply going to become the elite and the dynamics start all over again. The logic is clear on that. But here's what I see. I do see a fundamental line running through all of the elites across the world. And it's this. 
because they do not operate out of integrity, a sound principle of respect for human beings and their individual autonomy. Again, this is Marxism. He doesn't see individuals. He see groups. Uh, they do not. They do not have confidence. They do not have confidence in humanity being able to uh, decide things for themselves, work out their own issues. This is elitist thinking. They feel like they can do a better job of governing us than we can ourselves. And as such, they are willing to tear down the house on top of them in order to emerge uh, in this kind of phoenix rising up out of the smoke and fire, if you will, metaphor, uh, uh, when everything falls apart so that they're not in a position where poor people will be. Because the vast majority of the world, if this thing were to work itself out, believe me, no, I believe in an optimistic contingency. I'm waiting on God to do something that will completely uh, disavow, uh, expose the emperor for his having no clothes on, just completely demolish the, the plans of the wicked one. That's my prayer, by the way. Uh, uh, but what they're thinking is this whole economic system has to come to an end. This whole uh, educational system has to come to an end. This whole, if you will, modern structure of patriarchal hierarchical dominance has to come down. And they're thinking that they're pulling it down. They're feeling like they're pulling it down and they want to pull it down. And when the smoke clears, guess what? They've got all of the positions necessary to rebuild where they and their families and their kids and their grandkids won't come up under the oppression of a reset and a whole new economic structure that is fundamentally controlled by the powers on top. This is why they are selling out the way that they are, because they don't have an optimistic future like you and I do and like common people do, like free people do, like like people who understand hard work and meritocracy, like people who believe in autonomy and freedom of self and self-determination. They don't have that. They are operating out of a a a a a, a radical unbelief that is disease oriented even to the heights of Bill Gates. They're all freaking out that somehow this world is going to fall apart if they don't save us and it from it. And so it's a deception that's taking place. I'm going to give you the last few words. That is so well said, and thank you. And you have done the hard work. All right. Thanks, man. Bless you. Yeah, no, we can see this stuff going on, uh, particularly in your universities. Your universities, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going on, and you can you can call me and, and challenge me on this. I don't think it's even worth challenging. What I see with the elite is a guilt complex. They are guilty of actually pilfering and, 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 and uh, if you will, devastating the economy themselves over the last 50 to 100 years. They know that they're making all the money. They know that they have confiscated the wealth. They know that they have imposed upon its citizens massive unpayable debt. They know that, particularly the universities. They know that they have created wealth for them and their kids for the umpteen generation. So now that they're pretending that they want to do penance and, and make things right, what they know is that unless you just decide to give people your money, which I would be an advocate of. You know, you want to give people your money, give it to them. Go out to the streets and give everybody a million dollars. There are 380 million people in America. We can easily give people a million dollars. And, you know, you will hear some, uh, you know, you'll hear some type of media talking here that said, if you give a poor person a million dollars, he'll be broke in a year. Try that with me. 
or try that with anybody who has had to put up with a lot of this BS that goes on in the media and in the psycho babble of your uh, social, uh, you know, your social uh, engineering schools of, of Facebook and Google. Uh, give the American citizens one million dollars, Joe Biden, and get out of their way and and do and watch and see how we completely convert the system and move back to a prosperous economic system. It's not that we're going to put aside smart people. It's not that we're going to not call upon our engineers and our philosophers and our and our um our educators who are good thinking people, who are wise thinking people, brilliant thinking people. We're going to get rid of you guys. You elites, because you don't think well at all. But we're going to put in people who actually have worked through these theories of life and are ready for an opportunity to demonstrate that we can be both autonomous as well as socially and collectively governed by brilliant policies that allow us to prosper in the context of freedom and also be responsible to the cares of our nation and our world and the poor and the air and the environment and all of these things that humanity has screwed up to this point in time. So it's, everything is not just left-right narrative. Everything is not just extreme left and extreme right. In fact, the reason why you're getting pushback on a lot of this crap is because we have a massive, middle, moderate, uh, uh, conservative uh, element in America that just does not believe the lie that comes out of the mouth of Washington. We know our politicians are actually betraying us by uh, international investments and allegiances with China and other countries against our interests. We know that. And yet we're trying to toe the line and do this thing politically uh, without ending up in a civil war. But our own leaders are pushing us to that extent because they're under a strong delusion. The answer is biblical. Second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9. You'll never get another answer as to why our governments universally around the world at the same time are collapsing up under this absurd, erratical, uh, irrational, illogical system of a solution for the problems that they have themselves created, other than it's a divine judgment upon the psyche and mind of man. God has sifted the nations with the sieve of vanity. I've got two lines open, one 888 Two lines open. We're going to pay some bills, clean up some stuff, and we'll be right back after the break. <laughs> 